everybody. Ben Fredrickson here alongside Dave Matter for this week's Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Talking basketball, talking football today, Dave. But first, the biggest news coming out of Columbia. Yeah, it's the big showdown against old Big 12 opponent Iowa State this week in a huge quad one game in Como. And it's going to be a big one. We'll both be there. Kobe Brown is back. So all that excitement that kind of got the balloon popped against Alabama will now be there against Iowa State. But let's start with the big news. Let's not bury the lead. The Block M jerseys, Dave, they're back. They're beautiful. They look flawless. The only disappointment for me is that John Sunvold was not the model released (laughs) in the tweet promoting them. They look good. And and look, I'm not the biggest fan of all the crazy uniform changes. I'm I'm increasingly becoming an old man yelling at the cloud. Uh, I hate the ones that look like practice jerseys. I don't know why they wear them in games. But these if Mizzou came out and said they're going to wear these every single game, I'd say sign me up. Yeah, they're pretty sharp. I'll have to say that. I've heard some people already quibble a little bit. They put the number centered under Missouri instead of offset to the side. So it's not identical. I don't know if that was a Nike thing or if somebody didn't, you know, move the uh, cursor over when they were setting the type there. But they do look sharp. They got the tiger paw and the shorts, uh, the big block M. I think that should be like an alternate jersey, maybe like like when the Cardinals wear certain some jerseys on Saturdays. You know, I think Missouri should do that maybe once a month or so. Um, and it, you know, it's a perfect weekend to do it because you got the throwback game against Iowa State, a really good Iowa State team. So this is a great test for Missouri. It's going to help their strength of schedule no matter how the game unfolds. Uh, and if it's a if you can win this game, man, it really puts you in, in a much better position after going through you know a few losses there over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I liked how Missouri bounced back at Ole Miss, a game that they needed to win, especially if Kobe Brown played. But they won it convincingly. Some really good signs in that game. A, Kobe played a lot, seemed to look fine after missing the Alabama game with the ankle injury. Another step forward for Isaiah Mosley. Um, you've got some guys like Modiar who are coming on strong as this season goes along, which is a really encouraging sign for a coaching staff and how they're developing guys, keeping guys invested as the season goes along and maybe the most important thing Hodge made shots he had been so um in a funk but you got to keep shooting that's who he is he's got to shoot through it he did and for him to flip that script and for Missouri as a whole to make a bunch of three-pointers they're gonna have a hard time beating good teams if they don't make threes Dave that's just the reality you can't not shoot threes um they got to shoot through it they seem to have uh have broken out of their slump and maybe that carries over now that they're back home yeah, it's who they are. I mean, that's 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 who this basketball team is. They shoot threes early and often in the in the, uh, in the shot clock, and uh, you know they go from having their worst three point game of the season against Alabama to having their best. And Demoy Hodge played a big role in that. I mean, I don't I don't see how like any logical explanation that those things are contagious. That if he starts making threes, other guys do. But we see so many times that's that's the way that these games kind of unfold and at first it was Hodge then it was Kobe Brown then it was Mosley Diara even hit a three uh, Noah Carter hit one he'd been in a, a bit of a slump uh, so yeah I mean that the the common denominator is they were playing Ole Miss <laughs> and that was and, and Ole Miss is not very good no, the event. and they were they, they were missing their best score too and still that was it was a one not one possession but that was a single digit margin with a couple minutes to go Uh, So it was a little shaky there. Missouri was not getting many stops, uh, but to the Tigers credit, you know, they called a timeout. Dennis Gates did. They settled down. They got the stops they needed. They hit a couple more buckets 
and they closed that one out on the road. It was not, you know, I, I was there. Um, Missouri's had a really tough time playing in Oxford historically, but there was, it was not much of a crowd there. The fans are kind of out on the rebels out on Kermit Davis. And it's a shame because it's a nice, fairly new arena. Um, they're just, it's, it's like getting to be spring football season in Oxford or actually it's getting to be baseball season in Oxford. They're not so concerned with this team right now at the bottom of the SEC standings. Yeah, I'm a little uh, confused as to after all the changes that were made in the SEC that Kermit Davis was back at Ole Miss, um, and it seemed like that was maybe a mistake. Maybe they should have turned the page there and jumped in on this hiring of, of new SEC coaches. Right now, Dave, Missouri is 49th, I believe, in the net. They're 55 in, in, Ken, in, in the Ken Palm rankings. I think Joe Lenardi's got them projected as a 10th seed in that 10-7 game. Jerry yeah. Palm's a little bit higher on him nine seed, although then play that dreaded nine, eight game, which yeah. Missouri has, uh, has not had much luck in no teams, no teams like that game. And he's got him projected against Memphis, which is, would be certainly a, a compelling games. Looks like five, maybe SEC teams are going to make the NCAA tournament as at large bids. And so this is Missouri's in a good spot, but uh, it's a spot they want to keep trying to improve, especially if you want to, you know, if Dennis Gates is going to become that first Missouri coach since Mike Anderson to win an NCAA tournament. Yeah. You'd like to get off of those lines that are 9-8, 10-7. Those are usually pretty tough matchups. A win against Iowa State would certainly do that. It's a, It will be the eighth quad one game that Missouri has played. They're 2-5 and five in those games, which is not a knock on them. You're, you're better off playing as many of those as you can. But a third quad one win would help boost up some of those numbers. Iowa State's really good. Um, yeah. you know, it may look like maybe they were coming off their worst loss of the season at Oklahoma State. Before that, only lost to Connecticut at Iowa, at KU. No shame in any of those losses. Then they turned around and beat Kansas State at home, and we know that Kansas State team had knocked off Kansas, so they're coming into this game confident, but perhaps maybe a little emotionally drained. I don't know. They, they beat Kansas State 80-76 to last time out. They're a good team. Yeah, they're really good. T.J. Otzelberger. Uh, good second-year coach. Interestingly enough, this will be a matchup of two of the last three head basketball coaches that Desiree Reed Francois hired. She hired him at UNLV, and then he left for the uh, for for Iowa State. Um, so I, no, I guess it's two of her last hires. I, I don't know. I forget the math sometimes. But anyway, she hired both of these head coaches. We know that much. And, well, we also uh, know that Desiree Reed Francois seems to know a thing or two about hiring basketball coaches. Yeah, she's we doing can, pretty well. That pretty convincingly. Track record looks decent right now. Uh, they play at a little slower pace than Missouri. They're much more defensive oriented. They, they're not a great shooting team, but they don't need to be because they grind you out um, in, in the half court. And, you know, that's going to be a challenge. Missouri likes to dictate the pace. And, uh, you know, I, I think if they're going to have the crowd on their side, obviously, I think it's going to be a pretty good environment. It, it has been consistently at Mizzou, you know, really since the calendar turned all season, but really since they got those wins against Illinois and, and Kentucky, uh, it's it's become a tough place to play. And even uh, Nate Oates said that last week when we saw him against a, a real undermanned Missouri team. But they're healthy now that still not 100 percent at Ole Miss because Trey Million was out. He does. I know the fans, you know, fans would like to see like five guys play and nobody else. But the strength of this team is the bench and the depth. And when you can have a guy like DeAndre Golston come in and play 18 minutes or Trey Million play 10 minutes. Um, you don't lose a whole lot. Maybe they're not all SEC players, but they can do some good things for you. And the guy that's really doing some good things for him right now, you mentioned Mo Diara. Uh, man, he can he can rebound, which is something they need. You know, he can protect the rim a little bit. At least he's a presence down there. 
and it gives him a lot of energy. He, he really does. Uh, he can run the floor some. He can shoot threes, which we've seen now. So, man, what a boost that they've gotten from him. He was really critical in them holding off Old Miss there late. And I know, you know, the instant question is, well, where was this in November and December? And, and I thought Dennis Gates put it pretty well after the game. He said that he is right on time. Like, they did not expect him to step on the floor coming from JUCO, before that coming from France, and just be Shaquille O'Neal in week one. Like, they knew that he was going to need some seasoning, whether that was just a little bit of playing time or really more important, the practices. And now it seems to pay off because he's holding his own out there. He gets, gets a little foul happy sometimes. Uh, he's got to refine some of that. Um, but man, he gives them a presence. And the the trade-off is we're not seeing Ryan DeGray out there. He's got taken his minutes. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that continues to develop as the season goes on. But, you know, Missouri's in a good spot. They've got three really tough games left. Iowa State on Saturday. Then they go to Tennessee next month, and then two days later they turn around and they play at Auburn. Uh, after that, there's a lot of manageable, winnable games. I mean, Ken Palm has Missouri. Uh, he's got them projected to finish SEC play 7-3 and three and winning the last five games. They've got like Georgia, LSU, another A&M game, Mississippi State there. So right now they're in seventh place in the SEC. They would be the seventh seed if the tournament started now. And they, the end of that schedule uh, really sets up nicely for them to move up to, you know, maybe five or six. Top four might be unreasonable, um, and that's when you get the double buy in the tournament. But five or six, that would be, that would be, you know, tremendous for this program. Yeah, they're projected to be like a 21-win team yeah. based on the Ken Palm numbers, which are not everything. That's why you play right. the game, but certainly a higher mark than we would have thought entering the season. And as you said, a kind of a soft landing in some ways to the conference schedule after being thrown into the fire at the front end, you mentioned the the fans thoughts on the rotation. And I got a couple of thoughts there. One is probably leaning into those thoughts. Then maybe one is pushing back against them a little bit. I'll start with pushing back against them a little bit. One of the things Gates and his staff are doing a great job of is not slamming the door on the rotation. Yeah. It's more of a, um, you know, a permeable barrier where guys could kind of float in and float out depending on how they're playing. And I think that's good. It means you have depth. It also means you've got guys engaged over the course of the season. Certain coaches slam the door and lock it at this point of the season and guys who are not in the mix, they just kind of check out. Yeah. And, and I don't think they're going to do that. I think you're seeing the fact that Ronnie DeGray kind of started the season on the bench, worked his way off of it, now trending back toward it. He also knows that if he puts together good practices and good games, he can be right back in there. Aiden Shaw goes from getting his first start to not playing much, and, and Diara gets more. I mean, look, if you rebound on this team, you're going to play because yeah. it's their biggest weakness, and whoever wants to play should go grab boards. The other thing about Mo Diara, he makes free throws and gets to the free throw line. He made a ton of free throws in JUCO, and this team, what is Dennis Gates always talking about, Dave? we got to shoot more free throws. We've got to get to the free throw line. He does it, and he can make them as a big guy. So you're kind of starting to see different guys' strengths, and I think they're doing a good job of kind of uh, getting guys in and out. No bigger evidence and example of that than Mosley. Right. And this guy, we had wondered, if is he going to be a part of this team at all? Here he comes on strong, plays 33 minutes against Alabama, and is really asked to go be the lead scorer and does his best to do it. I don't think that's a great recipe for winning, but I think what you saw at Ole Miss could be. And again, consider the opponent, but he doesn't play quite as much, still plays a lot, gets the start, and and once again finds ways to 
put the ball in the basket and he starts making threes, which we know he can. He didn't against Alabama. And what I'm imagining you're hearing is that people really like that look of that lineup that had Hodge, Brown, and Mosley in it. And that lineup can score perhaps more than than any any consistent group we've seen and perhaps more than any Mizzou team in a long, long time. This team scores more than a lot of the Mizzou teams we've seen before. That group could be its highest scoring group. I guess my question is, can it play good enough defense? Because yeah. part of the reason you're kind of looking at that Ole Miss guy and going, wow, the offense, but also, my goodness, how did they get so close? They were almost giving up as many points as they were getting. Right. And can can Missouri have an offense first package and still play good enough defense against better teams? Ole Miss is not a good team. Right. And and the answer is I think you just got to play more guys. I mean, when you're playing at this kind of pace offensively, and when you're pressing after makes and misses, I mean, these guys aren't robots. You need some guys to come in and spell them. Um, that's why you know DeAndre Golson had a rough first half the other night. Three turnovers, couple fouls. He didn't play in the second half and. There were, you know, I don't want to give too much credence to social media, but some people are like, all right, write him off. He's done. Goodbye. We've got we've got Mosley now. We got Hodge back. We've got Diara. No, Golston, he single-handedly like won two games for this team this year. He he brings value. Um, you know, he's got to have a role. Uh, same thing with Noah Carter. You know, he, he was kind of in a cold spell, wasn't doing a whole lot offensively, but he's he's one of the bigger bodies they have. You know, he he chips in and contributes definitely. Sean East, too. You can't forget about him. He played 23 minutes the other night. Had some critical steals in that game and got to the foul line a few times. So the strength of this team isn't just the star power up top. It needs to be the depth. And that, you know, maybe not all those guys are all SEC players, but not all going to play 30 minutes. Not everybody's going to play 40. There's only 200 minutes in a game for the five players, and you can't play 10 at a time. So sometimes I think we're a little bit, and I say we talk more about others, uh, kind of a prisoner of the moment. And we think, oh, gosh, this guy was awesome. He needs to play 40 minutes now, and this guy never needs to play. No, that's just not the case. That's not college basketball. And I think your point about Gates is great. They they don't give up on guys. They keep them ready. Uh, Mosley, the great example. Golston will be fired up, I'm sure, to go out and make up for some of the mistakes he made the other night. He, he still does some things that not many other players on his team can do, creating his own shot. He's got that mid-range game. He's somebody I think can get to the foul line more often. Um you know, Carter too. So yeah, it's, it's a good situation to have right now. I think these guys are all hungry. Um, you know, I don't sense any kind of like bad attitudes of anybody that's missing time. I mean, everybody assumed Mosley was just disgruntled and upset about how things were going for him. He did interviews after the game with me and another reporter in Oxford for the first time all season. And I mean, the guy could not have been, he's very soft-spoken it kind of reminded me of just like a little puppy dog coming in the room and he's just so grateful to get the chance to play. And he wanted to thank three kind of entities for having him be there. He mentions his teammates, his coaches and the entire city of Columbia for not giving up on him and, and sticking with him while he was out of the lineup. And I really get the sense this kid is so grateful to get this chance. Uh, so now, you know, fans kind of get what they want. I don't know if he'll stay in the starting lineup all season long. doesn't really matter. He's, he's a finisher. May not be a starter. He's a finisher. And he what he did the other night, five assists, had a couple steals. I wrote about the one play where he dived for a loose ball. He, like, crashed into Missouri's bench. There was no chance for him to get that ball. But those are the kind of plays that coaches notice, teammates notice, and say, okay, this guy is bought in. And he he definitely is. Yeah, he's playing defense at a more invested level than I ever saw him play at Missouri State and that was one of the questions that you had is is he going to buy in defensively and 
he's not going to win SEC Defensive Player of the Year, but he can block shots. He can he can he's kind of a sneaky defender. He can poke a ball out here and there, yeah. and, and he's and the effort is there. So if you're if you're Gates, you love to see that. What a concept! Isaiah Mosley talks, and all of a sudden everybody goes, "Wow, they they love that guy." Why why it didn't happen sooner? I uh, I'll stand down. I think sometimes in the SEC, well, in any conference, you see teams with different builds. For a while, it seemed like every SEC team that was that was kind of in that okay range had like the two lead scorers at guard. You had like yeah. two good guards and then a bunch of guys who kind of – I think Missouri's build, Dave, is Kobe Brown is the tent pole of the team. We saw that. I think we saw that against Alabama. There, yeah. he's, he's the guy, and, and he's been consistently good now. You can say he's averaging 20 points a game over the last, you know, eight games. This is – this guy can be counted on as long as he's healthy. But he then there the other guys can kind of kind of kind of rotate in and out around him. And that's a that's an impressive way to build your team if you've got one guy who's kind of your rock and other guys you can kind of go with the hot hand. So um a huge that Hodge broke through that. He has to be a part of that. I mean, he is I think there was kind of a false narrative going around on him as he was in this shooting slump that well maybe he just can't play up against some of these bigger better defenders I I don't think so I mean some of the shots he was shooting in previous games were good looks they just weren't falling and shooters go through that and good ones keep shooting and I think it's good that a good sign that he did that so so we'll see if he can continue to to build on that and then I think Mosley is a kind of score that they don't have elsewhere on the team but I don't know that what Mizzou wants is him playing 35 minutes a night dominating the ball all the time there's there's got to be a place between him being benched and him being what he had to try to be against Alabama and I think Kobe Brown allows him to find that that better role and then the other guys kind of get in where they fit in and it might be a night where Nick Honors the hero and it might be a night where Sean East is and that's good I mean that's a that's a good sign of a good team that you have other guys so and the staff seems to be seems to be managing it pretty well. It was disappointing the Alabama game because we didn't know Kobe was going to be out until right about player introductions. We wondered because we'd seen him get rolled up on right. against Arkansas, but you did kind of feel like the energy went out of the room a little bit when people found that out. Understandably so. I think the way they got back on track against Ole Miss, Kobe's back, Mosley's playing well. It's even going to ratchet up the volume at Mizzou Arena for this Iowa state game. I mean, it will feel like almost a do over of sorts to have Iowa state come in there and, and to have this, this sec big 12 showdown here and in Missouri really feeling as good and the fans being involved and the stadium being allowed to be filled that it will actually, it will feel like one of those throwback, you know, Iowa state. Missouri yep. Games. Yep. And they played Iowa state a few times. Uh, it was Conzo's first game. Remember Michael Porter jr's uh, debut. Yeah. All 13 seconds or whatever it was. <laughs> I'll never um, forget those 13 seconds. They were, they were memorable. And then they played there a couple times, uh, you know, and and those games on the road did, did not go very well for Missouri. But I, I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. I, I think go back to Kobe, like he'll play in this game. I think the best development for him is Muhammad Diara. Like we, we, I asked Kobe after the game and he was asked about Diara. And he's like, man, that takes a lot of pressure off me because I, he's like, I take a beating inside. I mean, cause I am in there fighting for every rebound because I'm the biggest guy out there all the time. Now with him, I don't have to worry about that as much. So maybe just a load off of him mentally and then physically too, maybe saves him from getting some of the fouls that he gets sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great development to have. I mean, it's kind of like Mosley and Diara, Mo and Mo, it's almost like two trading deadline acquisitions. I, I mean, I know they were with the team at the beginning of the season, but man, to all of a sudden get those guys added to the rotation 
is is really rare for college basketball. So it's it's something I think this team can maybe capitalize on. Yeah, six rebounds in like 17 minutes. Yeah, uh, yeah you need to play more if you're if you're on a team that can really struggle to rebound the ball and you're putting up a rebound rate like that. So big game Saturday in Columbia. We'll have it covered at stltoday.com. Dave and I will both be in the house at Mizzou Arena. Quickly, Dave, let's talk the biggest Mizzou offseason acquisition. Um, you know, this is a team that we've talked plenty about what's on, on the line for Eli Drinkwitz here entering year four. We talked a lot about how he could or could not play the quarterback conversation, the risk of adding a quarterback to the room, the risk of not doing that. Now we know it will be Jake Garcia, the Miami transfer. Interesting backstory here, Dave. This kid was a highly touted prospect. COVID shut down the football in California, and he went on this exodus of trying to, to find a place to play. He bounced around between a ton of high schools, was projected coming out of high school as like a top 25 or 50 uh, recruit, depending on which service you prefer. But one of the top you know quarterbacks in his class was believed to have NFL potential, goes to Miami, can't win the starting job despite an injury to the starter there was kind of, uh, I think my folks in Miami were kind of down on him. He hits the portal, and now he joins this group that includes, for now, at least, Brady Cook and Sam Horn. What do you make of the move, the pickup, and the potential for Jake Garcia? Yeah, really interesting. I mean, he was not one of the high-profile guys on everybody's radar as far as the quarterbacks who transferred um, because he wasn't really a starter. I think he started one game this past season. He got in, he got in for eight. He played significantly in about three and numbers are nothing special. That was kind of a train wreck of a season for Mario Cristobal and the Hurricane. So I don't put too much stock in there. But he does have game experience, much more than Sam Horn does. So he's got that going for him. Um, you know, like you said, pretty celebrated guy at the high school ranks, you know, despite moving around all that he did. And uh, now he's here for spring. And it's it, Eli Drinkwitz has consistently said since he's been in Missouri that spring football is not the time to win jobs. These are not competitions. It's just a time for individual, uh, you know, improvement and analysis from the staff to really watch these guys. So they don't name starters after spring, but you can get a leg up. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, they're, they're tracking everything and they're, they're analyzing every, every throw. Uh, so going into the summer, they will have a good idea of what they have in these two quarterbacks. And then there will be a, you know, I suspect as, as, as we record this now, a, a real competition. And when Brady cook comes back, Brady is, I bumped into him actually last uh, weekend out for breakfast, my family, and he was out with his girlfriend and uh, he's out of his sling. I can tell you that much. So the arm is free. Uh, I was very careful shaking hands with him because it's his right arm and I don't want to injure the quarterback. Um, don't be the story, he, Dave. Don't be the story. He said he's feeling good. Uh, <laughs> he was drinking coffee out of his left hand. I noticed right. on the way out. So Reporting. He's, he's resting the right shoulder. Um, so the, the competition will really kick into gear, assuming they're all still on the team this summer and in fall camp, but um, Eli wanted to add some competition to the room. You know, he didn't go out and chase the Sam Hartman, the Spencer Sanders, the big name quarterbacks that were on the market. Instead he goes and gets a guy that was at a power five school, but has multiple years of eligibility left and uh, is definitely intriguing here. So we'll see. It's going to be, uh, I don't, I don't know how much spring football we'll get to watch. I don't know how much they'll do in the spring game. I, mean, I don't think we even have a date for that yet, uh, but Definitely, this is the one, and you you wrote it last week. This is Eli's got to get this one right. He's got to pick the right guy. He's got to he's got to know who the right one is, and uh, you know he's got he's got more options than he's had now. You know, as of recording this on Thursday, January twenty sixth. 
between Kirby Moore bring coming in to call plays and run the offense, and it will be Eli's version of the offense, but Kirby, it sounds like it's going to be calling the, the plays on game day and the addition of Jake Garcia. It's safe to say that, well, maybe not safe to say Jake Garcia will be there, but whatever quarterback they roll with and, and Kirby Moore, I mean, these guys are the keys to the season pass or fail. I mean, is that, is that saying too much? I mean, it, you hate to put it on two guys, but between the quarterback issues Missouri has had kind of looking for the right one and also the the play calling issues for an offense that should be and was advertised to be one that was going to be the strength of this team. I think the spotlight shines on those two this season and ultimately it's on Eli, right? But but those those two new additions um, or whoever beats out Jake Garcia. And here's the here's the way I, I view it is Eli knows what's at risk when you add somebody. Yeah. And so he viewed Jake Garcia as worth the risk of adding. And and that doesn't guarantee he's going to be the starter, but it probably means that they went out and competed for against the TCUs and whatever else in the NIL sphere that's going on to get this guy. And also, you know what you could potentially lose if you bring in another quarterback. So that tells me that he at least thinks that he has the possibility of being the starter and really curious to see kind of who starts to, to emerge as Kirby Moore kind of starts to put fingerprints on this offense, but the, the offense who leads it on the field, off the field and play calling is going to be the biggest story, I think, entering this year. Oh, absolutely. And this, this team is not without other question marks. You know, they've got to get pass rushers developed. I mean, they should be loaded on defense. Everybody came back except for the two defensive ends, three defensive ends. Uh, Otherwise they've got returning starters everywhere on a defense that finished fourth in the sec and total defense yards per play yards per game. So not a lot of question marks there. Some on offense, offensive line, added one transfer, might add more. Uh, you get Javon Foster coming back instead of going to the NFL, a second team, all SEC guy. Questions at running back. The guys are coming back, but, you know, are you upgrading there? Luther Burden, can he make the Dominic Lovett leap from freshman to sophomore year? If he does, then you should have a better receiving core because you you add in the, the transfers they added there. But nothing is bigger than the question mark at quarterback that will dominate all of our conversations from here until the beginning of the season and probably throughout the season. I mean, it's the most important position on the field. And, you know, it's, it's the biggest, what if it's the biggest question mark, it's the biggest pendulum to swing on this team, however you want to describe it to whether this works this season and it works beyond this season, or if it doesn't. One reason to maybe be skeptical about Jake Garcia. I wonder a little bit about his mobility. He yeah. looks be a little stiff at times watching him. I think you've got to be able to move and, and turn broken plays into gains and stretch the pocket. I think that's one thing Brady Cook did so well this past season as he kind of leaned into using his legs as part of his passing offense, and he knows that often. So I'm not writing off Brady Cook yet. One reason to be positive about Jake Garcia, big arm, and also you touched on it. The perception is that Miami was a disaster in terms of using the talent to the best of its ability knowing who the best talent was at times. So I'm not going to knock him for not being the starter at Miami just yet until we see what he can or can't do at Mizzou, but he'll have the spotlight certainly. And that quarterback competition should really be something between the prospects and the, the projected futures of Garcia and Horn and what Cook has actually done for this team and, and being one of its true leaders already. And as of, as of now, being back in the fold for next season, we'll see how that develops keep it locked at stlt.com for football coverage baseball coverage and everything else going on 
in come up. Did I say baseball? I meant basketball. But there'll be some baseball coverage too because SEC baseball is right around the corner. And I'm thinking spring training, I guess. Dave, good stuff. I'll see you Saturday in Columbia and encourage folks to check out Dave's newsletter. Also, I've got one at stltoday.com slash newsletters. You can sign up there. And uh, thanks again for checking out the Eye on the Tigers podcast. We'll talk to you next time.